This episode of the Future Cities podcast is proudly supported by WSP Opus, creating what matters for future generations. You deeply care about the future, don't you, Christian? I do. Is that true? For that intro, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I care about the past as well. True, Uh, and that's that's kind of where we launch it from. Mm. So we need to understand where people are yes. before we can decide where we've got to go to. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes a big difference if you understand that. Do you think, uh, I mean, and we've really just jumped into this, and I love doing this because we're just two people talking, people are listening, this is real life, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think people acknowledge enough the past or do you think we just think about the future? What's coming tomorrow? Uh, I think sometimes we get excited about the future and we think, yeah, that's where we're going to get to. But we forget that we have to have the infrastructure behind it. Mm. We need to be able to bring in people's behavior. And to be honest, if it's not convenient, valuable or of benefit, why would anybody use it, no matter how good the technology is? Mm. Isn't that so interesting? If you put it through a tech rubric, it makes sense. But you put it into your personal life. Yeah, uh, that's definitely. Funny. And uh, I'll give you an example. Why why are smartphones so popular? Because you can play um, what's the current games at the moment? Fortnite on it. <laughs> that became a development. The first smartphones were useless. Mm. So why did they take off? Communication? No, they were pathetic phones. You tell me. Because they were a fashion accessory, and it was smart and cool to have one of these. And because of that, it generated a market segment, and because of that, the manufacturers then said, whoa, here we are, we're going to make some money. So then they started putting in a lot more time, effort, and resources. Mm. The Apple phone, uh, everybody thinks that was the first smartphone. There were a number of smartphones before that that failed dismally. Mm. And part of that was just didn't fit socially. Yeah. Uh, So when people sort of get hold of it, and you could apply the same when solar PV starts to make an impact on the rate at which your house sells, Mm. then all of a sudden it'll become a lot more popular. Wow. So people are not rational financial economic units that you can predict on a computer. People do things for very different reasons and for different backgrounds. Mm. That's really interesting that you're saying we are not computers, we are not an algorithm, but we don't act like that. We we act like we've got nine to five, we're going to try and achieve all of these things. We pretend we are an algorithm. Yeah, I think sometimes we try and simplify things down and that's not always the best result. Right. I, I think you've got to understand that At the end of the day, if you want a smart city, if you want a smart home, you want to use the internet of things, yeah, there's some good geek stuff in there to play with, but people don't want to spend hours programming it or Mm. trying to integrate two different devices. Mm. It may be possible, but is it really what you want to spend your time doing? True that. Now, Christian, what do you write on your boarding pass when you travel to a country? What are you? (laughs) Yeah, I, I kind of just put on the engineer yeah. um, because at the end of the day, whether you're managing people, whether you're looking forward into the future, a lot of what I do revolves around my prime passion and focus. Uh, as a kid, I tried to fly. 
Uh, so I, I, I jumped off a sofa and felt that I was flying. And you know, a few seconds later, I learned about the inevitable law of gravity. Yes. And uh, along the way, there have been some very definite fundamental learnings that I've had, which have been uh, major points of life gravity, gyroscopic forces on the bicycle wheel, mm. things like that, and even down into Ohm's Law. A uh, little scale electrics car at 12 volts does, I don't know, 20 kilometers an hour. Uh, put 110 volts into it and watch it go. Mm. Uh, it does tend to catch fire, but mm. yeah, that's half the thrill as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you learn by doing. Um, so when I, people ask me, what do I do? At the end of the day, uh, I craft an environment that is more inviting, uh, that is more useful, that provides a, a better environment for our children in the future. Mm. Uh, According to my children, a computer is just another tool like a knife and fork. Yeah. Uh, they were brought up with it uh, from as young as possible. They could play on it. And what was interesting is when it was a black and white monitor, mm. they weren't interested. Mm. As soon as it was color, man, they were into it in a hurry mm. because suddenly it made sense to mm. them. And yeah, it started off with games and they've gone into programming and engineering, etc. And I, I think that's where it starts. So yeah, you... You want to be instrumental in building and improving our lifestyle without damaging and destroying the fantastic environment that we live in. And, you know, for the everyday person who gets up, goes to work, probably complains a little bit about traffic, you know, maybe doesn't acknowledge all of the amazing things. What's one thing that you find amazing that people totally overlook? Uh, I think it's what's underneath that infrastructure. Mm. And I, I, I must admit, I'm probably one of those people I refer to our Auckland motorway as our best parking lot. <laughs> and yeah, there, there are times it just doesn't go anywhere. Mm. But part of, the, part of the fantastic thing behind it is what's underneath it. Mm. And it's all the associated aspects. It's the stormwater, it's the street lighting, it's the signaling. Um, it's the fact that we can now control our street lights and at 3 a.m. in the morning when the traffic drops off, we can drop the light levels. Mm. Uh, we have capability um, in the near future. We've already tested and trialed it. We can put a microphone on the street light which actually detects pedestrians. Mm. And so as the pedestrians approach a pedestrian crossing, you lift the light level. So it's a good wake-up call to the driver who's been doing six-hour straight shifts. That's someone thinking about that critically for a long time, but for the people in general population, they just no, think they wouldn't that's notice it. Yeah, wouldn't but notice we also, how do we get people to appreciate this stuff more? Or do we not need them to? Is that not the role of an engineer? I think, I think you want it seamless, and you want it in such a way that people enjoy the environment without necessarily noticing the details. Mm. You want people to be able to say, man, this is a cool place to live. This is where I want to be. Things work. It's seamless. I can open my phone and the apps tell me where's the best coffee around. Yep. Uh, and I know that that's good coffee because it's got a good ranking on mm. it. So you want that interaction and feedback. So it sounds to me that you're kind of like a superhero. You go unnoticed <laughs> during the day. And at night time, the goodness comes out to play. That sounds a bit wrong, and we'll just move on. Hey, what did you want to be when you were a kid? So you jumped off the couch at five. 
Yeah. I learned about some science of falling. Yeah, I thought I was going to be a mechanic like my dad. Um, and my, my, my dad was actually an aircraft mechanic, so he, he'd got into some real funky stuff. Uh, and so I learned to change oil and spark plugs, etc. Uh, and the more I did it, I thought, oh, you can see all this stuff. Uh, but the more I looked at the electrical side of things, mm. I thought, now this is fascinating. This has got power. It just keeps going round and round. We don't actually consume the electricity. We just borrow it for a while. <laughs> uh, and uh, I guess in some ways that was a innocent understanding of where renewables began mm. uh, and where they're going. And the more I looked at that, the more I thought, no, electricity is the way to go. Radio frequency, communications, high voltage power. Uh, so, yeah, once I figured out Ohm's law, it was all downhill from there on. Explain Ohm's law for someone who, I've got to tell a friend about it. I already know what it's about. <laughs> no, I have no idea. Good excuse. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Okay. Uh, Ohm was a guy who really got down to the nitty gritty of things. And he basically said, look, voltage, which you can think of as the pressure in the reservoir pushing things, is equal to the current, which is the flow going through it times the resistance mm -hmm. which is the back pressure so uh, that current times the resistance tells you how much heat is going to be generated or how much work is going to be done and the voltage basically says look this is what you've got to put into it mm. to get that result mm. and those three little things can help you define an international high voltage network it can help you see how a transformer works it can tell you how your little scale electrics cars operate mm. so it's and it's so simple you know the mass is v equals ir it's as simple <laughs> as that yeah. and yet it has incredible connotations for mm. us when did you learn about that law I was very fortunate in that uh, my father introduced me to a friend who was actually a radio amateur, yeah. uh, and I wanted to build things. And I, I, in those days, guys were saying, hey, you know, it's incredible. We're going from valves to transistors. Uh, semiconductors weren't even sort of clearly understood at that time. Mm. Uh, and as we got into that, he, he then said to me, look, let me show you why you have to do it this way around. Why do you need this voltage originally on a valve to actually light it up to get it to a position where it'll start working. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, his, his name was Mr. Priestley, and I thought he was very Priestley. <laughs> uh, and the, this guy sort of shared with me, and uh, I looked at valves and thought, ah, oh, they're old technology. But isn't it amazing that they've come back into their own now, and the yeah. audiophiles will go back to a valve and say man, this thing's just got such a different sound about it. Mm. Uh, you buy guitar amplifiers these days and you pay big bucks for a decent right? one made out of Valve technology. Are you, you know, I'm jumping around because I'm genuinely interested in, and part of it is I can feel your passion mm -hmm. of what you do. Do you sometimes critically think, are you, is it luck that you found something you enjoy? Or is it you trying a lot of different things. Is that the learning here? Uh, I think there's a few damaged things along the way that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I've wrecked and tried things. Uh, and, yeah, hey, you know, uh, not, not just with my dad, but also with my kids, we've done some real crazy things. Yeah. Uh, we've taken a little Daihatsu charade and uh, turned it into a mobile rocket, uh, two-litre engine in it with a Garrett turbo and whatever and those, those are good fun but I always found that they they came to an end mm. they didn't have a long term perspective to mm. them 
Uh, whereas on the electrical engineering, the more I go through it, the more I see that, hey, there's more coming, there's more changes, there's more future, there's more ability. So, yeah, some of it, I guess, was down to being fortunate living in a country where I could set fire to the neighbor's yard without <laughs> yeah. too much yeah. wreckage and uh that you know of yeah uh, a few sort of tandry wrens um well there's an interesting point there it sounds like there was some level of freedom um we live in these cities now where space is allocated for certain things mm-hmm. any thoughts on how do we give the kids of tomorrow the same opportunity to have a bit of space to I'm not saying go out and burn something yeah <laughs> but maybe I am you know what I mean we yeah. just got to find this you, middle ground yeah you've you learn your best mistakes or you, sort of, you learn the best lessons uh, when you figure out your own mistakes mm. and you kind of look at them and you say yeah that didn't work too well my fingers are still sore from that uh, but yeah, it's got to be done in an environment where you're not going to create too much havoc. Yep. And I think some of our schools are fantastic in the way they provide learning opportunities mm. for children. Um, so I think that's one part of it. The other part of it are hobbies that are available and supported within our communities. Mm. Again, at school, I was fortunate that we had an electronics club. Yes. We could get into things, and I learned as much from the other kids as I did from the teacher who was uh, sometimes too busy trying to put the fires out (laughs) to really teach us anything. We kind of uh, did some along the way. Mm. We also had some university lecturers who really put their time and passion into Mm. things and sort of gave us an opportunity and sat down with us and said, look, if you want to get something done, the technology is straightforward, but the people are where you need to concentrate. Mm. Still the same, isn't it? it? Yeah. It doesn't matter how many technical things are analyzing us and turning lights on and off. It's really still about the people. It it has to be. And, you know, we're we're talking about the new wearable technology that's coming up. But to be honest, if it's clunky and interferes with what you're doing and you're hot and sweaty underneath it, ah, you'll leave it at home. It's got to be useful. It's got to be flexible. uh, And it's got to fit with the needs that you have. Mm. So some of that is, hey, it's got to be an MP3 player. I've got to be able to... Uh, watch my MPEGs. I've got to be able to change the colour because it's got to suit the fashion that I'm wearing today. Mm. Uh, It's got to be properly flexible, not stiff and clunky. What's one piece of technology that you could never have fathomed would exist today as that five-year-old when you were five? What's one thing that if someone brought that to you, you would just be like, nah, no way, that's another planet, yeah, Star Trek. It's, it's interesting. There are a number of them like it. So you, you look at things like even your microwave oven. Mm-hmm. Just put that down. And, I mean, I, I've had tremendous fun with the microwave oven. <laughs> I, I have a cup here yeah. which, which actually bears the scars of sticking it in a microwave <laughs> oven and melting the plastic off it. Yes. And that was a practical demonstration to one of our grads that, hey, look, if you put two pieces of metal in a microwave oven at a separate <laughs> spacing with an insulator, hey, things happen. <laughs> so, yeah, m- microwave's fantastic. And I'm sure you've seen these demos on Mythbusters and whatever where you can get some fairly spectacular explosions in there. And I must admit, that that's kind of radio frequency stuff. And at the time, we thought of radio frequencies as, hey, it's a radio. Mm. 
and then somebody says, man, you get enough of this in a concentrated area and it's a heater. <laughs> <laughs> so you just kind of, oh, yeah, where did that come from? Uh, yeah, and I, th I think at the end of the day, we look at things and some people just see different focus. So I look at a cactus and think, man, that's an aloe and I'm not going to touch that. It's prickly. I don't want to touch it. Somebody else looks at it and says, hey, no, that's aloe and we can extract the sap from it and it's fantastic for sunburn. Mm. Yeah, people just have a different way of looking at things. We sure do, and that's a really nice inbuilt thing about humans, right? We can all look at different things and everyone has their different... Not everyone has to care deeply about microwave ovens, but some <laughs> do, right? Yeah. Um, are you optimistic about things? Yeah, I... Look, we definitely have some challenges, and I, I work with a couple of projects where uh, some of the climate change and the sea level is giving us a bit of grief. Um, what about the people, and I'm sorry to interrupt, it's just like we hear this all the time. Um, so there's half the people think, I need to do something about it. The other half don't quite understand what all that means. This is all science-based. Yeah, you know, you've, look, you, you can be as pessimistic or as optimistic as you want. You may look at some of the science and say, oh, I don't agree with that extrapolated trend, but there are some trends there. We're also aware that we have a limited amount of resources, and so as we consume those resources, there's less and less left for the future. So in some ways, just even as a dad, I look at that and say, uh, where do I sit as a guardian, as a steward of this for my children? So how do I handle that? And, and the way I look at it is to say what I do today needs to have the best possible impact for my children. Mm. So this is why I do it. I look at it and say, okay, what, what's going to be the best choice? If this was my family living here on this island, mm what would be the consequences and the output from that. And what is one example of something you do? Because I only ask you that because in life we like to find solutions and sometimes we talk about that. So we know you're making actionable change, but no one follows up with what kind of things are you doing? Because what that really means is what kind of things can I introduce in my life? Right? People are listening to this whilst doing the dishes yeah. or filling up the car. That's the modern technological age we're in. But exactly what are you trying to change? <laughs> what I'm looking at and really looking forward to is, is getting sufficient infrastructure behind the scenes so that we can charge the electric vehicles. Uh, just to give you an idea, um, one of the EV charges that we've done is for a bus and that on its own required a complete substation. We're talking 430 kilowatts. So to put that into perspective, each home is roughly two kilowatts. So that's 215 homes all stacked on top of each other. And then just to make life interesting, we put it next to a school in a public place. And yeah, the bus has just got to be able to drive up, charge in 20 minutes and off it goes. Wow. So phenomenal power in there. And as part of that, we want it to be safe. So, yeah, you've got uh, amazing power density in those batteries. And I think uh, we don't really understand how much power is wrapped up in our fuel tanks. Mm -hmm. We drive our cars around on a regular basis. We put fuel in. We leave the fuel pipe running, sometimes connected to the car and drive off. Mm -hmm. uh, but the energy density in there is phenomenal. And 
as the battery technology increases, that density is increasing as well, and we have to make it safe. Mm. Yes, we've got to be able to charge it. It's got to be convenient. It's got to be fast. It's got to be usable. But at the end of the day, it's got to be safe. We've got mm. to protect our folks. Mm. We've got to protect my kids. So that's where we look at it. So uh, that's one of the aspects. So, yeah, there's, there's so many parts that fit into that. Yes, there's the wind farms that feed power into the generation side. There's the hydroelectric, the geothermal, solar PV to a lesser extent. And at the end of the day, I would love to have a clear, open environment without the noise, without the particulate emissions. Mm. Uh, so to me, electric car, and this goes back to the fantasy as, as a kid mm. watching little electric cars run around the racetrack. Mm. Uh, they were renewable because you could just keep running them. Christian, we may cut this bit out, but I want to ask you anyway. You do this for a job. You think deeply about infrastructure and how we can plan for today for tomorrow. Do you think we will do it in time? We have some challenges, and there's no question about it. And I think we underestimate what we will achieve in 20 years, but we overestimate what we think we can do in the next couple of weeks, couple of months in the year. When I, when I look at some of the other changes of technology, and we spoke about phones a little bit earlier, when you look back over that, you'll see that there's a number of attempts to get it in, to get it working, some are false starts, there's competition between different devices, different standards, different manufacturers and brands, and then suddenly it becomes an avalanche and everybody says, oh yeah, I saw that coming. Well, no, actually we don't. <laughs> and I think it's because people are not necessarily as predictable as we think they are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we actually have to learn a few lessons before we can make that technology really usable. Mm. So looking forward, yes, I think we will make a difference. I think there's an opportunity here. And it, it's not just the geek scientists sitting in the back room. It's people making everyday choices. So we need to make those choices financially viable. It's no good saying to somebody, hey, your new car is going to cost you $80,000. Uh, I couldn't afford that. How, mm. how can they afford that? You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's it's got to be real, active, practical. Mm. Uh, you need to be able to say, look, you know, if I need my car, I need to be able to jump in it and go 400 plus kilometers. Yep. So there's got to be some practical stuff. Batteries, still a bit of a challenge, but mm. we're getting there. We're beginning to see some of the more expensive vehicles head that way around. So, yeah, I think it's coming. Um, I think the government has been doing a good job in terms of trying to put in place enabling factors for it, some incentives to get some early adoption in, and you've got to do that and try it. Uh, we need to learn from the other cities that have tried it and where they've succeeded, where they've failed, and then understand why. Mm. You know, is it because the people are different, the infrastructure is different, their lifestyle is different, has the technology moved on since then? Uh, and, yeah, I think what happens in Singapore, what happens in London, what happens in Frankfurt, those, those, that's all good input for us. Who's doing it really well? Well, I'm going to have to wa wave the WSP flag here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I found it tremendous um, joining the company uh, through an acquisition and, and coming in and hearing about 
some of the things that they've been involved in with the other cities and being able to plug into some of the software that they've developed specifically for this and find that, hey, this actually gives me some answers. Mm. Yeah, so there's some things happening there. When you look at Scandinavia per se and you look at the rate of electrical adoption there, they're often held up as a great example, and they are. What's very interesting is you look at the size of those countries in terms of their population and some of their land mass, they're actually not that different from New Zealand. Right. So I think with a little bit more tweaking, we could be heading that way as well mm. and get ourselves ahead of the field. There's always a danger of doing that. Uh, if you're the first person in, you're the first person to find some of the pitfalls. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And speaking of batteries and those type of things, I mean, we've seen these Lime scooters yep. take over in a yep. big way mm. and their battery. Yep. And, and, you know, it's still interesting to drive around and see them just parked up waiting for someone else to use it. It's yep. one of those things that... I don't think anyone expected it would just make everything easier. I mean, what's your thoughts on that yeah, in general? Are now, we going to see Lime Scooter cars? <laughs> I, I think that that is actually a model that people still have to get their heads around. And I think the scooters and the Onzo bicycles as well are another step along the way. Mm. And it's opening eyes to the fact that you actually don't have to own it and have it parked in your garage. But... I'll also turn it around and say, it's got to be convenience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a Lime scooter down there. Is it charged? How do I know that it's got enough charge to get me to where I want to go? Mm. And, you know, I leave it on the pavement, go into my meeting. When I come out, will there be one there for me to come back on? Mm. So, yeah, people look at convenience. They look at risk. They look at the consequence and they'll make an inherent judgment as to what their choices are. Uh, yeah, and I, I think even the way our pedestrian stroke scooter population works together, uh, the use of the pavement may modify um, cycles in the traffic, scooters in the traffic. Those are all yeah, they're they're all things that we need to learn and understand as a community. Mm. One of the interesting things that happened in one of the cities I was in was they took out all the street signs, they took out the traffic lights and they made it a shared zone. Hmm. And the peculiar thing was that drivers and users of the road became a lot more polite, right. a lot more patient, um, and there, there seemed to be a lot more eye contact going on as people kind of got permission to pass in front of the next vehicle. So, yeah, people's behaviour is changed by the framework that they're in and people may not necessarily realise that they are being unconsciously shaped by that. Yes. So, but you need to get it right and you need to make it so that it flows. Uh, yeah, people get impatient at the lights, sitting there pressing the button because they want to <laughs> walk across and there's no cars coming and what's mm. going on and why are they synchronised like this and the drivers are getting impatient. Uh, it doesn't flow. It's very interesting because when I put it through the prism of looking at humanity, if we start taking away labels and stop-go signs and who you are and what group you're part of, mm -hmm. what happens? And I wonder if engineering and science and technology sometimes has to drive that forward to show us. Because, you know, in society, we're definitely feeling the pinch of what team am I on? Yeah. What sign am I? Yeah. And that's a very interesting topic. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, when you put labels on people... 
Uh, there are some assumptions made which mm-hmm. could be wrong. Mm. There are expectations made which may be unspoken and people don't know about. Uh, even through, yeah, it's language, it's interaction. There's, there's a number of aspects there. When you get somebody to sit down and start forming a relationship, takes a bit more time, it's a little bit slower, but perhaps at the end of the day you get a better outcome. Mm. We're going to wrap it up in a second. I know it's Friday and you're busy and all ah. that kind of stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> Bring on the weekend. certainly appreciate your time. Uh, there's science and then there's this other thing, which is the unknown. Mm-hmm. Where do you sit in that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 20 years ago I would have said firmly on the science side of things. Yes. And yet the further on we go, the more <laughs> I reckon science is actually a servant to the people. Yes. And it, it needs to be there to make life more fulfilling. I, I want more time with my family. That's why I work. Yes. I, want, I want things to be easier, more seamless. Yeah, sometimes maybe I, I think, does my fridge really need to remind me that I've run out of milk? <laughs> but yeah, come the weekend when I do want my coffee and I have run out of milk, I kind of think, yeah, it would be good if I was reminded of that on the way home and exactly. I could have stopped off at the dairy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Final question, and I just want, I won't say it yet because I want you to just say the first thing that's on your mind. And and I guess that's um, for us to, yeah, it's interesting to see what is it that's at the top of our mind when asked one thing. So what's the future? I'll actually give you a, a quote from a guy called um, Hassman. And he, he said, and he was talking about smart cities. He said they don't happen by accident. They're crafted and built. And I think that's where the future is. We have a choice. We can make what we want, but we need to decide what actually is it that we want. What are the goals that we want? What's the environment we want to be living in? How do we want to be spending our time? And yeah, you can talk about robots and uh, artificial intelligence, etc. but they're all subservient to what do we want? Where do we want to be? How do we want to interact with our family? Do we want to be in a green space playing soccer with the kids? Or do we want to be sitting slaving away in a factory? So, yeah, we have some choices to make. And there's going to be some tough decisions coming along. That's where our future goes. Christian Jensen, thank you for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. This episode of the Future Cities podcast is proudly supported by WSP Opus, creating what matters for future generations. (laughs) 